welcome to an ever so slightly explicit edition of the Best of Left podcast with clips today from The Onion Radio News, Countdown, The Young Turks, NPR, Tom Hartman, Counterspin, and The Daily Show. An area Republican enjoys paying huge health insurance premiums. It's the Onion Radio News brought to you by Lexi. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Lifelong conservative Steve Kilfoy stated today that he is more than happy to pay $14,000 a year to insure himself and his family. Kilfoy says he feels privileged to pay a quarter of his income for the 37th best health care system in the world. In fact, he's loving every minute of it. When I send in my quarterly check, I'm honored uh, that I'm not getting free health care. Like, you know, those people in Canada, Finland, uh, Japan, India, most of Europe. Kilfoy says if universal health care is passed in the U.S., he may leave the country, but is yet to find a developed country that doesn't offer it. Doyle Redland for The Onion Radio News. I've got... 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash. The economy seems to weaken with each passing day, but it sounds a lot like John McCain might not have heard the news. I have a great belief that the fundamentals of our economy are very strong. Very strong. Really, Senator McCain? Well, that's not what millions of Americans are saying. A new CNN Opinion Research Corporation poll shows 78% of those surveyed rate the economy as poor. We've sort of become a nation of liars. I would rely on a circle that I have had developed over many years of people like Jack Kemp, uh, uh, Phil Graham. And yet, you just hear this constant whining, complaining. Phil Graham was right, of course. Phil Graham was right? Absolutely. I think Phil Graham has the guts to say what, what a lot of you uh, business experts are, are reading between the lines. Is, is there some truth to the fact maybe we do whine too much? Okay, that's become a nation of whiners. His second point that we are a nation of whiners, we, we are the crybabies of the Western world. I mean, Phil Graham, God bless him, he's working for UBS, some Swiss bank he's a vice president of, for heaven's sakes. So what does he know about guys in, in, in Michigan? He remains a, a co-chairman of his campaign and his chief economic advisor and an old friend. Our economy lost another 49,000 jobs last month. That means 324,000 jobs have been lost since the first of this year. The nation of whiners part is not necessarily true. American people aren't whining. They're trying to do the best they can. And, if and they're, they're whining all the way through so it. And when you talk about factors like consumer confidence, well, let's be real. That's a subjective thing. And The unemployment rate has jumped to five and a half percent. The biggest increase in the unemployment rate in 22 years. Because a lot of this is psychological. A lot of it's psychological. 
because I believe the fundamentals of our economy is still strong. It's not that yeah. bad. Uh, Phil Graham put it best. Misery sells newspapers. More and more Americans are losing their homes. A million homes are now in foreclosure. The equity Americans have in those homes, their biggest asset, has declined to the lowest level since the end of World War II. I think psychologically, and a lot of our problems today, as you know, are psychological. Would have a psychological impact that I think is beneficial. And, and a little, little psychological boost. That's, that's what I think it would help. Americans' net worth has declined by a staggering $1.7 trillion. And, but I want to, believe, to convince you of my belief and my firm conviction that America's economy, the fundamentals of it are strong. The fundamentals of America's economy are strong. Then there are the rising costs of energy. For the first time in our history, gasoline now above four bucks a gallon, it's headed higher. Oil traded at $139 a barrel on Friday. Predictions of a buck and a half by the 4th of July and $200 within two years, a prediction by Goldman Sachs. The peak summer driving season is just getting underway. And these gasoline prices impact the cost of virtually everything else we use. Senator McCain, you have said repeatedly, quote, I know a lot less about economics than I do about military and foreign policy issues. I still need to be educated. I not, don't have that kind of expertise. The nation's on the brink of a recession, the stock market taking a hit, down 400 points last Friday alone. Now, I, I, I am not an expert on Wall Street. I am not an expert on some of this stuff. The U.S. dollar weakens against almost all foreign currencies. It has declined 15% against the euro in the last year. This perhaps no surprise from the man who said in January 2000, quote, I didn't pay nearly the attention to economic issues in the past. I was probably a supply sider based on the fact that I really didn't jump into the issue. And then said on November 2005, I know a lot less about economics than I do about military and foreign policy issues. I still need to be educated. And then said in December 2007, economics is something that I've never really understood as well as I should. I've never been involved in the financial stuff the financial workings of the country. We are $9 trillion in debt thanks to the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and the irresponsible fiscal policies of the Bush administration. Are there any significant economic differences between what uh, the Bush administration has put forward over these many years as opposed to now what John McCain supports? Uh, yeah, I mean, for instance, take, you know, um, uh, take, for instance, the, the issue of uh, of um, I'm drawing a blank, um, and I hate it when I do that, particularly on television. Uh, but t take take for instance, uh, and we continue to run huge trade deficits with China. Looks pretty good, right? Here's the question: Is John McCain right when he says the fundamentals of our economy are very strong? Uh, you know, I've got to tell you, McCain is the most disorganized <laughs> lack of any knowledge whatsoever about economics. And you all know it better than I do. Everybody knows you're wrong to something They all want in But they don't know about the bad news You keep underneath your skin And they think you've got it all figured out But there's one thing you'll never talk about It's a long time gone but it never went away Pull the string And this whole thing's coming of you that wishes they were
Now we have another guest for you, uh, Bill Share from Liberal Oasis, Campaign for America's Future, and uh, also uh, blogs on Huffington Post as well. Bill is going to talk to us about Phil Graham's uh, view on uh, economics and how that translates to John McCain and the conservative view. Uh, Bill, welcome to the Young Turks. It's great to be with you. All right, Bill, uh, great to have you. And, you know, I, I said when the Phil Graham story broke that it was a verbal gaffe, and I know sometimes we overemphasize those. Uh, but then I was saying, you know, compared to uh, Obama saying, hey, people might be uh, bitter uh, and cling to their guns and God, th that verbal gaffe, if you want to call it that, has no economic consequences, has no foreign policy consequences. It's just something that get people uh, upset over. But you make the case that uh, Graham's gaffe does have economic consequences. What are those? Well, Graham's gaffe is a gaffe in the uh, Michael Kingsley sense, which is when you inadvertently speak the truth. Uh, and in Phil Graham's case, it's, it's the truth from the conservative perspective on the economy. This is what conservatives believe about the current economy. I'm not saying that's accurate, but this is what they sincerely believe. They think that the current economy is not just okay. They think it's good. They think it's great. They say, hey, there's been GDP growth for this whole eight years. There's been some job growth. Um, we're still competitive globally. Everything is just uh, Jim Dandy. Uh, and they do that because deep, deep down, the view of conservatism when it comes to the economy is, you know what, kids? There's going to be winners and losers. Sure, there's widening inequality, but who cares? Because that's just the way life is. So if you're one of the losers, stop whining already. Why don't you just become a winner? Exactly. <laughs> and, and I say that because I mean, I'm not just trying to uh, uh, blithely smear all conservatives, but the fact is if you go through conservative economic commentary for the past several years, they've all been making this case that the good, that... Uh, you're, that either the media is lying to you or the Democrats are lying to you, and therefore if you think the economy is bad, you're being brainwashed by these awful people. The only difference is Phil Graham didn't blame the media or the Democrats. He blamed everybody for being a liar. That was the only difference. Well, you know, you got quotes in, in the uh, piece you put up on Huffington Post and on Campaign for America Futures blog uh, from National Review, Larry Kudlow, You've got David Gitlitz, you've got uh, Fox News' Fred Barnes, uh, George Will uh, of the Washington Post and ABC News, and they all pretty much say the same thing. Okay, stop whining already, it's in your head. And in fact, John McCain has said over and over, and we've showed it on the show here, that it's psychological. Now, this has got to be a, a, a broader thing. Now, now, you say part of it is uh, that they view the, the world in terms of winners and losers, and if you're a uh, Loser, sad day for you. Why don't you just become a winner? Uh, but also, it, it's not just their worldview, but it's their governing view. And so, how does that translate into how they govern? Well, how they govern is they don't do any kind of public investment to make sure that we have a strong infrastructure, 
that we have affordable education for everybody, that we generate clean energy and create jobs in America, uh, as well as fight global warming. Uh, they don't do any of those public investment initiatives to be sure that uh, our entire country is strong and we have a thriving middle class. At the same time, they slash taxes for the wealthiest in the country, those earning over $250,000, and they don't do any kind of oversight of corporate behavior and hold irresponsible corporations accountable. They want everything to, uh, everyone gets to run wild, and some people win and a lot of people lose, and who cares? Because it works out for them. That is their governing philosophy. That is what has happened over the past eight years. And as uh, the middle class has eroded and poverty has risen, as they say from the conservative view, that's not a bug, it's a feature. That was the goal of the operation, and that's why they're not complaining about it right now. Well, you know, we've seen the result of that, Bill, which is uh, the meltdown that we're in right now. There's uh, not nearly enough regulation. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, on Wall Street today about it, and he makes money uh, in <laughs> partly by speculating on uh, financial stuff, right? But he's saying, look, the government's got to step in and regulate here, because if they don't, then obviously you're going to have excess. In some of these uh, mortgage companies, you are, uh, they're leveraging 60 to 1, which is outrageous. And if you, they have any little problem, they're going to go under. And if they go under, who's going to pay the bill? We're going to pay the bill. And then Phil Graham's going to call us a nation of whiners. Well, this is the one area where conservatives believe in government, to bail out their friends. They're more yeah, than what happened to bootstraps? I thought that when it comes to us, we were, had to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and stop whining. But when it's, uh, you know, the top banks in the country... Then they say, oh, no, 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 we hear your whining. We hear your pain. That's the one pain we do here. Here's the bailout from the people that we then call whiners, the American people who are coming to bail you out with their money, not our money. They're trying to socialize. You know, they, they always talk about everything we propose as socialism. They're happy to socialize the losses of their buddies and spread out their mistakes onto the rest of us. But they never ask their corporate friends, for anything in return, you know, it, I think it's appropriate to bail out Fannie and Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, because if you didn't, you would have widespread economic calamity in the housing market. But if you're going to uh, bail out a corporation, you got to ask for something in return. You got to ask for some some better regulations, some better oversight, so they don't do these kinds of shenanigans again. They don't do that. They don't have a deal. They just socialize their mistakes and spread the pain on everybody else. Look. It, sometimes these conservatives do this straw man argument. Oh, the liberals want more and more regulation because they want control over your lives. What do I give a damn what somebody at Freddie Mac is doing? I mean, it has nothing to do with me, and I got no fetish for controlling bankers, right? The reason you need regulation is because if you don't have some sensible regulation, obviously people will try to make money by going to excess, by trying to make more money. Uh, by, in this case, leveraging too much their loans. And when that falls and when that system breaks down, we know it always comes back to our force, partly because it's happened before. It happened in the late in 1980s, early 1990s, where the American taxpayer had to step in for and, and bail them out at a rate of $125 billion. Now it's happening again today. IndyMac bailed out for what is going to be about 4 to $8 billion dollars from FDIC reserves, they only have $53 billion in reserves, and the first one already took out $48 billion of it. 
So, you know, this has some real consequences, and, and that's why we need regulation. So I'm going to ask you to speculate on the right wing. Do they see this bill and think, ah, who cares, let's just make more money? Or do they think, hey, look, I, I like this system. I like it when some people get screwed, and I like it when some people are allowed to make a lot of money without the government trying to figure out what's fair and just, uh, and when uh, the American taxpayer bails people out. I don't really care. I win. You lose. Yeah, I mean, from the conservative perspective, uh, they look at this as all sick little things go up, things go down. There are good times, there are bad times. If you're smart and you're well connected, you know how to ride out the bad times. The only worry, of course, that when times get bad, that they're going to pay a price politically, uh, and that's and, and they have to go put an extra extra dose of propaganda to try to mitigate that. Or they may say, you know what? We're just gonna, you lose elections every so often. Maybe we're going to lose this one, but it's going to be such a such a pile of dung for the next guy. There's no way he'll be able to dig out of it, and we'll come back in 2012. Uh, I think there's probably a split in the conservative movement about the political reality of that situation. Uh, that's why you see McCain not getting a the full amount of uh, financing from the Republican donor community than George Bush has, because some people are sitting on their hands and thinking, you know what, let McCain take the hit on this one. Uh, let's so he'll get blamed personally. The Republican Party won't get blamed. The conservative movement won't get blamed. Conservative policies won't get blamed. He'll get blamed. So I think there's some element of that going on right now. But as far as the actual policies are concerned, they probably look at this as, you know what, things shake out, things get corrected, losers lose. I'll try to work my, my way in Washington so I don't lose so badly and I'll live to see another day. You know, Bill, let me ask you finally, and we're talking to Bill Scher, by the way. He uh, blogs at Campaign for America's Future. That's ourfuture.org, right, Bill? Ourfuture.org, correct. Right, and uh, Huffington Post as well. Uh, Bill, you know, George Will goes on ABC News and says, look, uh, Phil Graham is right, and, and this is mainly psychological. Now, I can't believe, because George Will is not a dumb guy, and I don't think he himself is making money from banks going under, right? So I'm trying to figure out what his motivation is. Does he, at this late juncture, like maybe a couple of years ago or even a couple of months ago, they could have said, hey, look, the underlying basis for the economy is more sound than the media gives it credit for. I know we have some problems, but overall the economy is healthy. But at this late juncture, do they, can they still really believe that? Do they really believe that IndyMac going under... That $48 billion flushed down the toilet. Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae having these problems, uh, let alone Bear Stearns, let alone everything else, let alone the unemployment, et cetera, et cetera. Can they really believe it's psychological? And if they don't, why is George Will saying that? Oh, I think George Will believes that uh, in, the, you know, in the big scheme of things, you know, hey, some people, some people lost their work, some people lost money, some people lost mortgages, some people had their homes foreclosed on them. These things happen. But they you happen when you let it happen. <laughs> I mean, I just can't believe that. My problem is, I believe there are honest actors in the world, and I, I happen to think George Will is one of them, and I'm probably wrong, right? But I can't believe that he thinks either a there's no economic pain in the country at all, right? And there's a little bit, but hey, they should just grow up already, right? And or b we don't really need this regulation because regulation is totally useless. We should let people run amok until everything goes under. I can't believe that anybody would think that. You know what, you, Washington is a fairly recession-proof town, if you, it, a political Washington. 
politics goes on in good times and bad. George Will is not personally affected by these ups and downs of the economy. He has a cushy gig with the Washington Post and ABC that doesn't get affected. It doesn't matter whether he is right or wrong about the economy or politics. He gets to stay where he is. So he can very easily say, you know what, some people have to spend more on gas this month, some people have to spend more on food. You know what, these things happen. That's the way of the world. They'll, they'll, they'll repeat things. You hear conservatives do this all, all the time. You know, even poor people in America have TVs. So you see, it's not so bad to be poor in America. It's not like you're living in, in Nicaragua or something. Should we so take that away? Whining. Should we take that away, too, <laughs> and give it to uh, Bear Stearns or Freddie Mac or whoever's taking it these days? Democrats are making hay of John McCain's many houses and the fact that he didn't know exactly how many he owns. Well, he may not be the only one. According to the National Association of Realtors, one third of all sales are of vacation or investment homes. So for you, second and third and fourth homeowners, our humorist Brian Unger offers this help. Nothing gives a person greater joy and pride than owning a home, a place to call your own, your own yard, your own driveway, your own dog in that driveway that'll bite anyone who trespasses into that yard of that house you call home. Home ownership. It's the American dream. But that dream can turn into a nightmare when you can't remember how many homes you own. Imagine the pain and frustration of losing track of how many zip codes you live in. Is it one? Is it seven? A condo or a shack down by the river? How many homes do I own? How many do I own? Real Estate Amnesia, REA, not being able to remember the number of homes you own, is the leading cause of real estate anxiety next to homelessness and foreclosure. For those who suffer mild to severe bouts of REA, the Aspen Center for Real Estate Amnesia can help. It's a treatment center staffed by fully accredited real estate therapists who accompany sufferers of REA on walking tours of their own homes. City by city, house by house, you'll rediscover the magic of finding your first dream home. The summer home on Martha's Vineyard, that ski house in Telluride, the slum you rent to college students in Columbus, Ohio. You've worked so hard to collect these houses, so why forget them? Can't remember how many bathrooms you own? Don't know where the circuit box is in the Adirondack Lake House? The Aspen Center for Real Estate Amnesia can help with that too. Room by room, from fixture to faucet, from pantry to pool, from broom closet to bowling alley. We'll help you remember every inch of the awesome real estate you possess. The Aspen Center for Real Estate Amnesia, with new facilities in East Hampton and Boca Raton. 
Because on the road to prosperity, sometimes it's hard to remember your address. Sis. And that is today's Hunger Report. I'm Brian. <laughs> Speculators start, they, they buy up commodities, not because they need the commodity, not because they have real demand for the commodity. In the example of oil, an oil speculator is not buying oil so he can run it through his own car. He's not buying oil. He's not a user of oil. He's not an oil company buying oil so they can refine it and then sell it as unleaded gasoline. He is simply buying it because he thinks other people will buy it. So what happens is you get large numbers of speculators who move in and as they bid up the price they bid I mean they bid up the price based not on actual demand for the product but merely on the belief that it's going to become more uh, it's going to become uh, uh, that the price is going to go up on in other words they drive the price up by betting that the price is going to go up it becomes a loop now he says ah but some but everybody but everybody who sells you loses no that's not true we start at the let's start at the beginning of the speculative bubble. I say I think oil is going to go up. I buy oil. I hold on to that futures contract for a while, and the price starts going up. And the next thing you know, the price is going up, and there's somebody who wants to buy. There, there are speculators who are willing to buy at a higher price. And I say I don't know how much longer this this bubble is going to last. I think I'm going to get out now. I think I'm going to take my profit. Put it in my pocket and get out now. So I sell to the next guy. He's buying at a higher price. He's betting it's going to go still higher. I'm betting that that, that the uh, that the bubble has run out of steam. So I made money. He picks up the contract, and guess what? The price continues to go up. So he he reaches a point and he says, "You know what? I don't think this is going to last much longer." He sells out to the third guy who's betting on it to go up. So I made money. The second guy made money. The third guy maybe he makes money. Sooner or later, the bubble bursts, and the guy on the back end 
man loses money, but we can all make money. We can all get a little piece of that expansion as the price rises. It's not a case of there's a there must be a loser for every winner. It's not true. I bought, made money, sold, thought it was over. It wasn't over. The next guy, he made some more money. The third guy, he made some more money. On and on and on until the price finally tops out. And as a, a guest on Limbaugh's show told you the other day, the trend is your friend. And by the way, let me explain something else. He says, every buyer, there has to be a seller. But there are lots of people who bid. If you want to go in, if you go into the commodities market and say, I want to buy oil at $50 a barrel, you can place that order. You can place that order with your commodities dealer. You say, I'm buying. When it hits $50 a barrel, buy. Put in a bid for $50 a barrel right now. You won't. You will not acquire an oil contract. You will not acquire one. Nobody will sell you one for $50. After a while, you say, well, have I bought yet? No. Ah, better take it up to seventy-five. Better you will not you will not actually acquire that contract until somebody's willing to sell it to you for. And if you're bidding too low, you're going to have to raise your bid. And each time you're going to have to ask, okay, what's the price going to do? And if you can't find a if you can't find a seller at what you want, then you won't you will not fill your order. So it's not the case that. But the process of bidding, of putting in the orders, of saying, this is what I want, and of sellers of sellers asking, saying, I want to sell at 140. When it hits 140, sell. Somebody says, sees 140, says, well, I'll buy at 140, or he doesn't. You can have your order to sell out there, and no, you have no takers. That's the way the commodities market really works. When you've got lots of people who want to buy, that drives the price up. Speculators drive the price up merely because they're when they all get this herd mentality. That's what drives the price up. The problem is is that you can play this game. You can play this buy sell game with seven percent of the value of the contract. Seven bucks is all it takes you to buy a hundred dollar oil contract and so you've got people playing this game and they don't have as we say very much skin in the game and that's the speculation problem this is the reason that we had a great depression this is where the stock market crash of 29 came when you had a really low margin requirement and people were tremendously leveraged in the stock market and when it came apart it crashed hard that's why we created in the wake one of Roosevelt's reforms one of Roosevelt's Roosevelt's reforms was a uh, was regulating the stock market, requiring fifty percent margin. You have to have fifty percent of your of the value of your stock trade, and they did that to stop wild speculative bubbles in the stock market to prevent another crash. Guess what? It worked. There has never been another nineteen twenty nine. That's what we need to do in the oil market. They say if we do it, they say if we do it. Oil will drop 50 bucks a barrel just by properly regulating that market. You have been listening to uh, you've been listening to the big picture. I had a couple of callers. Sorry, guys. Get to you.
going to do here you know are are they going to get this thing or uh, or is this wave of populism going to uh, wash over them and i hope it does i hope that people realize eventually and i don't think they get it fully now don't get me wrong i'm not some sort of optimist blind optimist who thinks oh the american people are woken up not yet but they are waking up i mean here here's another startling fact that we gave you a little while ago the top 1% of 1% Okay, 1% of 1%, that's just 15,000 families in America, have reaped 25% of the gain in income in the last six years. Okay, 1% of 1%. They got 25% of all the money that grew from 2000 to 2006. Okay, and you know what uh, the bottom 90% got? 90% of Americans, they got 4% of the increase in America of of wealth okay that's a startling fact man and so when people see that they and you know how did this come about how did this come about it was well, oh, just a regular business cycle no people made real decisions that had real effects on those real people that we're talking about when Phil Graham decided to deregulate the industries so there were no checks on them that had consequences that allowed the CEOs and uh, upper management of Enron to get very rich very quickly and then crash and then leave us with the bill and you know leave their employees and their investors in ruin and when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac do something similar that you know that bill hasn't come in yet they just passed the law at least through the House of Representatives that might cost us as we had Maxine Waters on the show and you know she supports the bill because it helps some of the uh, Americans who've been hurt by this whole housing crisis but I tell you what, even she admitted they have no idea. It is the amount of money we might have to give Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae uh, to cover, according to that bill, to cover their losses is limitless. What do I mean by limitless? In the law, there is literally no limit. If it's $30 billion, then we're going to give them $30 billion. If it's $100 billion, then we're going to give them $100 billion. If it's $300 billion, we're going to give them $300 billion. And who's giving it? We're giving it. It's not, it doesn't grow on trees. I mean, this is what my dad used to tell me when I was a kid. You know, where I come from an immigrant family. <laughs> and he said, look, if you want a bike, it, it doesn't just magically appear. What you have to do is you have to work, and if you work, I give you two bucks an hour. That's what he gave me back then, right? And then when you work 50 hours, you'll have 100 bucks, and that 100 bucks buys you a bike, okay? This is how money works. And so when we have these gigantic deficits, and by the way, Bush, George Bush in his reign, has so far added 3.4 trillion dollars to our national debt, right? And when we uh, have these bailouts of Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae or Bear Stearns, that is our money. 
So we take our hard-earned money that you know you worked every single day and you busted your ass, and then you have to go over and give it to Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae and Bear Stearns because their CEO screwed up. <laughs> see, see, that's why a populist revolt is almost inevitable. Because when people see that, they go, man, you know what that does? That pisses me off. And because they know those guys already made a killing, an absolute killing. And now we got to cover for their ass because they wanted to take higher risks. And the Republicans took away all the regulations that would have prevented them from taking those risks. Do you know George Soros wrote an article? And, you know, billionaire George Soros. Uh, obviously knows how to manipulate the markets, knows how to work the markets, is a die-hard capitalist if ever there was one, right? Uh, said we should emulate the Danish system as far as the housing regulations go and the financial regulations in regards to housing. So what does that mean? In, in uh, the Danish system, what they do is they say, hey, if you're going to put a down payment on a house, you need to have X percent, I'm sorry, if you're going to buy a house, you need to have an X percentage down payment. Now, it might be 10%, 20%, 25%, whatever it is, right? And if you don't have that, that means you can't afford this house. So we're not going to sell you this house because if we do, you're not going to be able to pay it, and then we're going to have bigger problems down the road. And if I give you this loan, okay, I meaning this bank, right, then I have to keep the loan. That gives me the incentive to give out good loans. Now, what we do here in the U.S. is we take the loans, and we go, okay, great, uh, I don't give a damn if they default. I already charged all I could in fees, and I'm going to get an extra percentage by selling it to somebody else. And we, the banks take it and sell it to someone else, and then they take it and they sell it to someone else. This is how the subprime mortgage melted down, because nobody gave a damn what the, how risky the loans were. Until, of course, at some point, everybody defaulted. And when they did, then they turn around and go, hey, oh, you, you over there, can you pay my bill for me? I already made a lot of money off the fees and the extra risk that they took and the percentages, but uh, these loans blew up on us. So I'm going to drop them on your lap, see how you like that. And Soros says, hey, why don't we stop doing that? Why don't we do an accountable system where you have to actually put a certain down payment down and the bank who gives you the loan has to keep the loan so they make sure that it's a good loan so that the system doesn't blow up and wind up in the lap of the taxpayers. See, that's sensible regulation. It's not over-regulation, it's not under-regulation, it's just the right amount. Now, the thing is, there are good systems for healthcare, for housing, for et cetera, et cetera, down the road, throughout the world. And what we could do is we could learn from those systems. Or, we could do what the conservatives do and say, Yeah, we're American, we're the best! <laughs> Danish, yeah, right, I eat Danish for breakfast, oh, listen to Danish. Okay, but then you're going to be an idiot, and you're going to cost the taxpayers a lot of money. But the thing is, they're not idiots. They get paid by the people who made all that money. So they're happy. I get what they're th You know, the people I'm most pissed about are the... See, the Republican Party is working, okay? The Republican Party is supposed to look out for the interest of the top CEOs in the country, uh, the top corporations, the top lobbyists, the top oil companies. They're doing their job, okay? The people who are supposed to look out for us are the Democrats, and they're failing. And the people who are supposed to give us the information we need to make these decisions is the media, and they're failing. What we have right now is a system that is totally broken, and the Democrats are not effectively pointing out what is so wrong with this system. Right now, Obama, everybody else should be screaming at the top of their lungs to the American people. They're ripping you off. They're taking your money and redistributing it to the wealthiest people in America. 
You want to talk about class warfare? Well, we didn't, the poor didn't start the war. In this case, the rich did by deregulating all these industries. And who did that for them? The lead legislator in all these examples, before he retired from the Senate, was a man named Phil Graham, the man who was the top economic advisor to John McCain before he did a faux pas and actually said what he meant. And to this day, he says, yeah, I meant it. Nation of whiners. You had this coming. Well, he had his payday coming, and he got it, and now he's laughing at you. And if the Democrats don't point this out, it's on their... It's, it's on them, man. It's their fault. And the media, look, we can talk about the media all day long, and I do. Because, I mean, don't you get what's important to people? And you don't think it's an interesting story how all these CEOs made all this money and they ran away with it, and now the workers don't get any of it? I mean, look, I, I've gotten through this a hundred times. The CEOs should get paid, but their pay is disproportionate to what it should be. It, there are so many CEOs that have uh, lost millions, hundreds of millions, and sometimes billions for their companies. And they still get paid hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, why would anybody in their right mind pay some guy to lose money for you? The system is broken, man. They're robbing you blind. It's all their friends on the boards that are giving them those paychecks. And it goes around in a circle and a circle. And then when they come to you and they go, ah, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, we blew your pension. Go back to work. Oh, you're 72? I don't give a damn. Go back to work. Go back to the assembly line. We didn't have enough money for you. Oh, yeah, don't because, you know, don't, don't get in a union. No, no, a union will kill your job. <laughs> Meanwhile, the son of a bitch made $100 million, $200 million while he was bankrupting the company. And he's telling you he doesn't have enough money to pay you. And then, oh, well, what are you going to do? The company's bankrupt. The bill goes to the taxpayer, and you go back on the, uh, uh, you know, employment line, try to get a new job. Man, they're screwing you. And the media isn't telling you, and the Democrats aren't telling you, and they're failing at their jobs. President Bush only has to spend 20 trillion more dollars to inherit the Bush family fortune. It's the Onion Radio News. This is Doyle Redland reporting. White House observers say President George Bush is down to a mere 20 trillion additional dollars in U.S. deficit spending required to collect his eccentric Uncle Cody's vast estate. The president expressed confidence about his last-minute push this morning. I got things set in motion, and if things stay on track... Uh, that, I'm going to have $250 million in my pocket. If Bush fails to spend the money by the end of his second term in office, the inheritance will go by default to the nation of France. Doyle Redland for The Onion Radio News.
I propose a detailed budget bomb. I send up my budget man to the Congress. If you've got trouble, then you've got less trouble than me. That that is the problem that we're looking at. 
So uh, a couple of other points that I wanted to make uh, very quickly. Uh, Sarah Palin apparently is still saying that she said no on the bridge to nowhere. Why? Because if she admits that she was a liar, uh, that's political death. She, she has to do that. She absolutely has to do that. Jim Sinclair has an interesting commentary, by the way, over at jsmineset.com. He talks about how J.P. Morgan back in 1907, pretty much the exact same thing was happening. People were running margin calls. They were buying things on credit. They were buying stock on credit without any money. Naked, what are called naked shorts, and or or naked sellers, whatever it may be, and and buying these things um, on credit without the money to back it up. And uh, J.P. Morgan, you know, pulled these guys into his office, and particularly Jesse Livermore, and said, "You guys can't do it." And back in those days, the, these groups that did this were called trusts. And Teddy Roosevelt was famous as the trust buster. He broke them up. They have been reinvented. They have reincarnated, and they've reincarnated as hedge funds. So what we're seeing right now is the exact same thing. It's the hedge funds. Uh, it's it's coming all back all over again here. And so here we have Lehman Brothers, a 158-year-old investment bank, crashing and burning. Why? <laughs> because because Bill Graham, the chief economic advisor to John McCain, had his way in 1999, and Bill Clinton went along with it. The, the Democrats went along with it. I thought, oh yeah, it's worked fine since the New Deal, but you know we can we can. Uh, uh, pass on that for the moment, which is just absolutely nuts. I can't forgive, can't forget, can't give in what went wrong because you said this was right. You fucked up my life. CNN's Wolf Blitzer interviewed Charles Barkley on August 26th about the former basketball star's support for the candidacy of Barack Obama. Blitzer challenged Barkley by noting that Obama would raise his taxes by about $700,000. Barkley may have surprised Blitzer by saying he was actually fine with that. But what was most interesting about the segment was the graphic CNN put up on the screen, showing the estimated impact of Obama and McCain's tax plans for various income groups. The top group was over 2.9 million, and the lowest income group were households making between 161 and 227 thousand dollars a year. As the blog Think Progress pointed out, that covers the top five percent of households by income. But what about the rest of us? Think Progress helpfully provided the figures that CNN didn't, showing that roughly 90% of the public would get a bigger tax break from Obama than McCain. 
It's hard to know what CNN's motivation was for leaving out the information that would be most relevant to the vast majority of its audience, but it is worth noting that TV news stars like Wolf Blitzer generally make seven-figure salaries, likely putting him in the same boat with Barkley tax-wise. So it might have been interesting to hear Barkley return the question. How do you feel about the prospect of paying hundreds of thousands more in taxes if Obama is elected, Mr. Blitzer? And how might that affect your coverage of the election? affect millions of Americans. Yesterday, prices affected four Americans deeply. The American economy is in a crisis. The most serious financial crisis that we've seen in generations. The crisis that you've been facing on Main Street is now hitting Wall Street. Let me tell you something that's going on today in our world, particularly here in our nation that needs some shaking up and some fixing. Did she win a contest? What? What? Is it a calling? We got to do some shaking. I see what's happening here. It's an economic crisis, complicated issue. The solutions needed are probably unpopular, undoubtedly confusing. Perhaps it's time for a good old-fashioned candidate's generic off. Generic off, brought to you by soap and food. It's what's for eating. <laughs> the players flipped a coin to see who'd go first, but the coin was repossessed. What the heck? Let's hear from the junior senator from Illinois. We're going to get the economy back on track and our financial institutions back on track. <laughs> well in, sir. Forceful sounding, totally empty. Like a, a hollow pinata. Republicans, your response. We've got to fix it. We've got to fix it, and we will. We must fix it. <laughs> we must use some sort of tool. An economic fixing tool. That was made in America. McCain 08. <laughs> Joe Biden, you're in Michigan talking to auto workers. Give me a generic. I'm a UAW guy. I never belonged to you, but I'm a United States senator because of the UAW. This is not a pander off. This is a generic off. <laughs> Come on, man. Take another swing. I count John McCain as a personal friend. I don't doubt that John cares. He just doesn't think. He doesn't think that we have any responsibility to help people who are hurting. This is not a passive-aggressive off. <laughs> this is a generic off. John McCain is a good man. He's just a horrible human being. He's a brave, he's a brave soldier, uh, but a stupid idiot. He kills babies. I love him. He's terrible. <laughs> this is a huge opening for the Republicans. Biden has abdicated the generic off. Let's hear from could possibly be President Palin. 
This crisis happened for several reasons. Whoa, whoa. There's a generic off. Reasons. That's dangerous territory. Tread carefully. I hope there are generic reasons. Several reasons which have to be addressed right now. You've given us a what and a when. Don't give us a how. Guys and gals, our regulatory system is outdated and it needs a complete overhaul. Oh, guys and gals. <laughs> Dudes and dames, don't pay any attention to what she said. Do not heed her call. She is not actually suggesting the government be responsible for regulating the financial markets in any way. Brohims and Bettys. Our economy will grow and we will get government out of the way of private sector progress. Great save. She only got specific enough to completely contradict herself. We need more regulation. We need more regulation so that we can get government out of the economy. And then normal people's brains can explode. All right, Johnny McCaney, she set him up. Mow him down. Still, the fundamentals are, of our economy are strong. No! That is generic, but it's also wrong. You're supposed to talk about crisis. You know what's going to happen now. Oh, in a few hours. The fundamentals are, of our economy are strong. The fundamentals are, of our economy are strong. Don't you know the internet moves quickly now, sir? <laughs> it looks like curtains for Senator McCain, but as in any generic off, you get one last chance to go into the retraction chamber, where you can either take back what you said about the fundamentals of our economy or fundamentally try to change the meaning of the word fundamental. I was talking about the fundamentals of America, which is the workers, their productivity, their innovation, their, uh, their incredible performance for many, many years. Sure you were. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have a winner. That was John McCain speaking from his new Circular Talk Express. <laughs> what else is Circular Talk Express? Like it is John McCain. Apparently, John McCain is the only POW who was brainwashed after his captivity. <laughs> six months ago they said oh if Bear Stearns goes under the whole thing collapses it's too big to fail right so they went and did some sort of you know they helped to organize a bailout now all of a sudden Lehman Brothers goes under and they're like nah what are you gonna do there's too many of them going under sayonara so I, I don't I you know look I asked the guy I know uh, about this for specifics and he made a good point he said Look, if this had happened to Lehman Brothers first, we would have bailed Lehman Brothers out. We would have let Bear Stearns go six months later. 
and there's been a chance for people to get out of Lehman Brothers in these last six months or so. So the situation is not identical. It's not the same. And it, right now that all the major financial institutions in the world are organizing, I believe, about a $70 billion program to start helping out these other banks so they don't all pull down the entire economic system with them. There's some serious, serious stuff. I mean, uh, Alan Greenspan is not saying that this is the worst uh, you know, economic crisis he's ever seen in his lifetime. We're the worst in the last hundred years for no reason. I mean, remember, some of the stuff Greenspan did led to this. So it is not in his best interest to say that it's the worst that he's ever seen. Uh, you know, right now he should be busy trying to cover his ass, but he's been awfully honest about it. Speaking of which, then we, and Greenspan's a Republican, remember, uh, we go to his uh, comments about John McCain and his tax cut and whether that would be a good idea. Once again, brutal honesty here. This is uh, clip number uh, six here. Final question. You mentioned that we're going to begin to face even more fiscal problems. John McCain's proposed $3.3 trillion of tax cuts in two terms. Can the nation afford tax cuts of that magnitude? Uh, unless we cut spending? No. And would you tie any tax cuts to spending? I always have tied and tax cuts. And so you would say no tax cuts without comparable spending? Well, indeed. What I said with respect uh, to in the year 2002, relevant right. to the existing tax cut debate, that unless it's paid for under so-called PAYGO, I'm not in favor of it. I'm not in favor of financing tax cuts with borrowed money. Of course, after this, the McCain campaign was like, no, what do you, and Greenspan, what would Greenspan know? <laughs> they didn't exactly say that, but boy, they were furiously backpedaling. Go, no, he doesn't understand. It's not the $3.3 trillion. It'd be... If we, if assuming that we keep Bush's tax cuts, which, by the way, why are we assuming that? Uh, they're due to expire. You're saying we should keep them. Assuming we keep those, then it's actually $600 billion hole we're creating, not a $3.3 trillion hole. First off, I would say to that, so what? It's still a $600 billion hole, if that's your best argument. Second of all, you just admitted that that is not the case, that you do want to keep Bush's tax cuts, and it would, in fact, be a 33 trillion dollar hole in our deficit in the middle of this mess. By the way, one of the reasons for this mess is our budget deficit. It has caused a, uh, uh, caused a lower dollar. It's caused less investment in the United States, etc. I mean, it's a small part of this uh, subprime mess and this financial mess, but it is a part of it, no question about it. And I'll tell you what's not going to help. More tax cuts for the rich that lead to a $3.3 trillion Debt on top of the debt we already have, on top of how much George Bush uh, already added to the debt. And now even Republican Alan Greenspan, one of the architects, honestly, partly of this mess, uh, is coming out and saying, hey, these tax cuts by John McCain are irresponsible, absolutely irresponsible. That's because they are. That's one of my main concerns. That's what People ask me all the time, why would you leave the Republican Party? My question is, why would you stay in the Republican Party? Who in their right mind would stay there? Because the one thing that we used to be in there for was fiscal responsibility. Now, that turned out to be a bit of a fraud. Uh, but if you didn't realize it was a fraud now, you've got to realize it at this point, don't you? They've never balanced the budget. The only guy who ever balanced the budget was Bill Clinton. And all they do is put more and more debt on, and they pile it on, and we borrow it from China. The dollar gets weaker. The economy gets weaker. And it contributes to this whole mess. And then you go and say, all right, look, at least they're doing other things right, but they're not. They took away all the regulation that was necessary 
to make sure that these guys didn't take out uh, these dangerous risks, and they did. See, look, people consider regulation a dirty word, but wh why do you think regulation is around? You think that you know they just the Democrats just pulled it out of nowhere and was like, oh yeah, it'd be great if we had just had some regulation that was keeping business down. No, the regulation came about naturally because it helped to create a better environment for business. Now, can there be too much regulation? Of course. But think about the reverse of that. Can there be too little regulation? And the answer to that is, of course, of course there can. And that's what we've done here. We've taken the wheels off here. And so, to repeat, you know, we've covered this on the show before, but obviously it's very relevant today. So let me repeat how this thing came about. Took away the regulations and said, all right, go make any loan you like and then pass that loan on to other people if you like, and so you're not even responsible for it. So they made all these terrible loans, but they didn't care because they passed it on from one financial institution to another to another. Meanwhile, they made a lot of money on the refinancing, they made a lot of money on the interest rates, and they didn't care whether the loan ever got paid back because they already sold the loan off. You See how the scam worked? Now, there's a situation where we could have had regulation. And let me be really specific about this, because people say that and you don't know what it means. Here, let me explain. One piece of regulation that would have helped tremendously is if you make a loan, whether it's a mortgage or any other loan, you have to keep that loan as a financial institution. You understand what I'm saying? Because if you have to keep that loan, then you go, oh, wait a minute, maybe I should make a good one, otherwise this bank is going under. But if you have no incentive to make a good loan, you say, well, I'm going to make the money off the interest rate, I'm going to make the money off the refinancing, I'm going to make the money off the original transaction, and then I'm going to pass it along, because there's nobody watching the, the chicken coop here. Uh, so uh, are they going to do that to make more money in the short term? Of course they are. See, that specific piece of legislation, which, by the way, exists in other countries, to say if you make a loan, you keep the loan, would have helped tremendously. And we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in now. These companies wouldn't be going under. My friend who works at Lehman Brothers wouldn't be looking for a new job. I don't know if he is, but I've got to reach out to him and ask him. And why did they? T who took away this regulation that was absolutely necessary? The Republican Party did. It wasn't just George Bush. It was the whole Republican Party infrastructure, including a man named John McCain. He bought into it part and parcel, the lobbyists that worked for him, uh, were the ones that lobbied for it in the first place, and they can't wait to do it again. Now, my question to the American people and to the, all my friends and to other f people that email in and say, hey, Jake, why did you switch from being a Republican, and who should I vote for this time? I'm kind of torn on it is. My question is, why would you let this same Republican infrastructure come in and make the same exact mistakes? Now, they promised to make the same mistakes. John McCain's on the campaign trail today talking about the fundamentals of the economy are strong, and... He had, as his top economic advisor, Phil Graham, the man who was probably the most responsible out of all of the senators in the last decade for taking away these regulations. And why would you let the Phil Grahams of the world, the lobbyists that work for John McCain, and John McCain himself, back in to screw it up again? You'd have to be mental, poor, middle class, or rich. We all get screwed by these guys.
Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm going to keep it real short today since we had a long show. And uh, I just want to say thanks to Brian for actually only partially producing this episode because uh, between the time uh, I sent him the clips and the time he sent it back, our economy collapsed. So uh, <laughs> it, it seemed, uh, seemed important to throw in some updated clips to, uh, to fill out the rest of the story on the economy. So the second half of the show is actually produced by myself. This is going to be the last time I'm able to talk to you before the first presidential debate coming up this Friday, October 26th. Uh, and I just want to remind you again to come to bestoftheleftpodcast.com and watch the debates live with us. Uh, we will have a live video feed from the Young Turks as they cover the conventions live. And we will have a live chat room opened to uh, any and all to come and chat with uh, producers and fans of, of the Best of the Left. So it's going to be lots of fun. Um, it you, know, you don't have to sign up for anything to be in the chat room. Uh, you can come and watch and just listen and not interact if you want. You know, whatever you like. Um, but just you know, check out the website uh, between now and then and you'll see a big button button. Uh, that that shows you where the chat room is and it's all pretty self-explanatory so check that out and finally yes we are still in the middle of the podcast awards nomination process so please when you're at bestofleftpodcast.com checking out the live chat room also please check out the uh, the podcast awards link and the instructions right there on the page telling you how to nominate the show and it's a it's a great help to us and it'll be very exciting to be nominated again. There's more I could say. There's always more I could say. Uh, all the usual stuff. Check us out on uh, on iTunes. Leave us a great customer review. Uh, dig the show on dig.com. Vote for the show on Podcast Alley. Do all of those things uh, to help support the show. There's even a link on the website that says support the show. So anything you want to do uh, to support the show, you'll find it right there. Um, our new... Every Zing-based uh, clip delivery system is working fantastically. People are using it, uh, enjoying it, saying it's easy, it blows them away, uh, jaw-droppingly easy, ridiculously easy are a couple of uh, quotes that have been used to describe the system. So check it out yourself. Uh, if, if you have just a few minutes of time, sit down, look for some shows. I guarantee it is fun to do this you will not only find great clips for the show but you'll inform yourself and, and maybe find some some new shows that you like and and uh it's a win-win for everyone all the way around so that is it that's it for me today uh coming to you from inside the beltway yet outside the border and conventional wisdom of washington dc my name is jay and this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you from best of the left podcast.com now black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you out in the open door This is not my life just a fun friend.